Hi, I'm Jen Rogers. You're listening to Yahoo Finance's podcast, and I'm here with Andy Serwer. He's the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Finance, and you are just back from Las Vegas. I am, but I didn't do any gambling at all, I'm sorry to say. You didn't have time, probably. I did not. So you were at the SALT conference. This is a big hedge fund conference, and you got to have a one-on-one with Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Alphabet. What did you guys talk about? Well, we talked mostly about artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, you know, if if that sounds possibly boring or possibly daunting, it shouldn't because it's actually really interesting and it's changing all of our lives right now. And it's arguably, you know, the greatest investing opportunity of the next 10 years. I don't think that's overstating things. So Eric Schmidt, I mean, is he like an AI expert? Is this what he's into now? Because of course, when I think of Google, I think of search. Yeah, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think of Eric as, well, he's just an executive. Mm -hmm. He's the executive chairman, as you said, of Google. Um, Former CEO, was the CEO for 10 years. Before that, he was the CEO of Novell, a software company, worked at Sun Microsystems. But You know, remember, Eric Schmidt has a Ph.D. in electrical engineering and computer science. He, you know, did his Ph.D. on distributed software platforms. So he really knows this and he loves this stuff. And this is something he's extremely passionate about. It's his number one interest at Google, at Alphabet and sort of, you know, in the world writ large right now. When people say AI, what is invoked is images of robots and all of that. So I prefer to use the word machine learning because it sort of lowers the sort of uh, movie impact. And one way to understand it is that in my industry, computer science, it's been completely transformed by the basic insight that we're going to go from programming to learning. By programming, I mean programmers will sit there and write down the algorithms. And by learning, that means that the system will learn the outcome. And you say, well, like, what's the difference? It's huge. So typical example is that if you learn something and you learn the wrong thing, how do you fix that? Well, if you have the bad program, you just fix the program by changing the code. How do you change learning? There are all sorts of implications of this. So you just told me that this is a huge priority of yours at Google, at Alphabet. Why are you, maybe this is axiomatic, but why are you so excited versus the other things in your potential portfolio of things to do? Well, most people, most people believe that this will affect all businesses, especially the tech businesses, and especially businesses that have a great deal of transactional or training data. So a simple explanation of how this learning thing works is you take a very large amount of data, and you use these algorithms, and it will give you insights. Um, a typical example would be Google Photos. So how does Google Photos, when you give it a photo, know that there's a giraffe or a zebra in your picture or something else? Well, the answer is it's seen a million photos that have them in it. In other words, if you show it enough training data, enough pictures that say, this is a zebra, this is a zebra, this is a zebra, right? eventually, when you give it a, a de novo picture, it will say, this is a zebra. Um, Google Translate, something many people use around the world, um, does not have a dictionary. What it does is it's been trained to see if I see this pattern in one language, it's like this other pattern. And that's how the translations work. We're very close to having simultaneous real-time translation from any language to any language, or 100 by 100. That's an extraordinary achievement. And again, it's because of this underlying training regime. So when you look at Alphabet and Google, it's just a data-rich environment. And any business where that's true, or any social phenomena where that's true, 
is amenable to these approaches. He talked about putting machine learning to good use, which is so interesting because we talk about machine learning and the rise of the robots so much and either the loss of jobs or the loss of privacy. So what is the good use that he's talking about? Well, first of all, I think what he wanted to dispel was this notion that Silicon Valley makes frivolous things, frivolous products and services. And to an extent they do. And, and you know, he was talking, he actually mentioned, we mentioned the TV show, uh, Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, some does of the he watch it? Stuff. Oh, he knows all about it, yeah. And, and you know, the hot dog uh, app to mm -hmm. find the coolest hot dog and stuff like that. You know, it's fun to find hot dogs. It's fun to all these kinds of... We have a, a bot that we built where you can play a little bit of music and it will finish your song for you using these techniques. And it does a fantastic job. Right. We have a group called DeepMind that started by trying to solve all... Uh, play all the games that we as humans play in computer games. We recently in Korea beat the uh, top Korean player in the world at the game of Go. And if you know what Go is, this was thought to be in, uh, un unachievable. So why do we play games and fly ourselves all the way over to Korea to beat this uh, incredibly brilliant human at this ancient and power important game? Because the underlying algorithms that are being invented for that are then applicable <coughs> for more generalized use. Uh, so one path to think about it is um, computer vision is largely a solved problem. So that means, for example, most of you came here by car it's crazy that a human would drive your car. The computer should drive your car because the computer can see better than you are, especially at night, especially in Las Vegas, and especially after what we do in Las Vegas, right? Um, you know, 24 hours a day, it's going to drive better. Um, same thing for voice, as I mentioned, but we're pretty close to being able to give people the equivalent of a high-quality personal assistant. This is all opt-in. You know, you choose it. It's all personalized to you at your request. But to give you advice, you know, here I am in Las Vegas, these are the hotels I like, these are the friends I have, these are the people I don't like anymore. You know, all the sort of advice that you get from a great personal assistant from an online service that has the same level of understanding of the things that you care about. Now, the job loss part is a huge issue because that's something we're seeing um, in the economy and there's no question that's occurring. Did he address that? What does he say about the job losses? He addressed that. I asked him several questions. That was a big part of our conversation was this idea of job loss. And he said, well, you can talk about job loss, but you also have to talk about job creation. I'm, I'm, I think I'm just a contrarian okay. on this stuff. Uh, it just seems to me, after 20 or 30 years of doom and gloom about jobs and automation, our economy today in America has the lowest joblessness rate it's had in a decade. The stock market is uh, surging uh, in general. American businesses, which are global in nature, are doing extremely well. So you'd have to convince me pretty hard that the, the previous rate of innovation, all of that uh, automation in factories and so forth, would produce huge job losses in aggregate. There's no question that it produces jobs, uh, sorry, reduces jobs in a very painful way in specific industries that are important. I'm not taking that away. But if you look at it in aggregate, in aggregate the system gets bigger, there's more jobs created. And let me make the argument that I think is the strongest one for the future. And because economists don't, can't predict the future, you know, my, my opinion is as good as anybody else's. So let's go through the following argument. What do we think is true going forward? Globalization will continue, I hope. 
Um, people will get smarter because of all of these tools. But there's this huge job skill mismatch in our economies, especially in the Western world. So there's something called the dependency ratio, which is the relationship of the number of people working and people not working. And because of the good factor that people are living longer, there are fewer people supporting more unemployed in the sense of retired or not working very hard for whatever reason people. So the sum of that means that we need the people who are productive to be more productive than they are. And in order to do that, you have to use these tools such as automation, machine learning, and so forth. And you sit there and you go like, what's he talking about? Japan, China in the next 10 years, Europe, the US in the next 20 years. All of them face these challenges and automation and making the current workers more productive will be the secret. Still, I mean, there's a lot of anxiety out there, well, right? I mean, well, by the way, it's interesting that in almost every measure, we are doing better. Life expectancies, uh, a child born today is expected to live past 90 in many of the developed countries. By 2030, a child born was expected to live to 95. By 2050, they're expected to live to 100, just by virtue of gains of human. This is good stuff, right? Um, in terms of deaths by war, uh, you know, poverty, two billion people have joined the lower middle class from absolute poverty in, in the developing world, and yet we're all more unhappy than ever. Yeah, I mean, what is that? I mean, this, this whole... I, I blame it on us. Us? Yes. What's us? Too much information. Oh. Okay. How? Why is that the case? Well, it just seems like we're, we, just, we spend all of our time worrying about all the negatives, and we ignore the extraordinarily good things going on. And the math is on my side, guys. These are the facts. You had an anecdote about um, a computer science program in West Virginia trying to teach uh, computer science to coal miners. And there were 35 spots and apparently 1,000 people applied for that. And you talked about that. What, what does he say we should be doing with the other 965 coal miners that want to be educated in computer science? Yeah, that's right. And Megan Smith, who was a former Google employee who was uh, most, until recently, was the chief technology officer of the United States under Barack Obama, was telling me about this program. And, you know, I asked Eric about it. I said, you know, you're fail you, know you point to the success of 35 people. I'll point to the failure of the 900 plus. And he said, well, you're right. And we just, we need a tremendous emphasis on education and we need government programs. We need public-private partnerships. I think when a lot of people think about machine learning, they are scared by it. Maybe they think, about, you mentioned Silicon Valley. I think some people think about Westworld and it, how to sort of combat that fear. I guess you guys talked about some of the companies that we all use every day already that are using machine learning. Yeah, I mean, it's a real trade-off. And, and we did talk about, you know, these scenarios where um, the robots, you know, take over. And, and, and Eric had a funny, funny story about that. I'll give you a simple example. You have two physicists who are collaborating on something. One's in one country, one's in another. You have a computer that's watching them, watches what they do, and while they're sleeping, works with the other, and then continually is suggesting things, right? That's a classic example of a, of a pairing between a brilliant human and a brilliant support system computer. That's the kindest thing that will lead to very significant discoveries for healthcare, material science, and so forth. Protein folding alone, when it gets solved, will change the way drugs are made and so forth. Lots of reasons to be excited about that. 
I mean, is there ever really the potential for some like Will Smith movie to happen? Well, you know, where the, they take over, right? I mean, there's, um, I mean, there's a million well, stories no, I'll, about I'll that, give right? you the, the, the Westworld. I'll, I'll give you the Ex scenario. Machina, right? Let me just give you the scenario. So the computers get really smart. Mm -hmm. um, we begin to be suspicious. The computers begin to be suspicious of us. I hate that. We, uh, we decide to turn them off. They're listening to us. They then go and go to places where we can't find the computers because we can't do an inventory properly. We chase them, turning off computer after computer, and they keep moving from computer to computer, and eventually they kill us. That scares the hell out of me. I mean, okay, by the way, that's a movie. Okay, yeah. Okay, 2001. it's a movie right. plot. <laughs> right. Okay, and I can assure you that, that, that of all the scenarios that are possible, that's one that's not going to happen. We all benefit tremendously from what computers know about us and what they learn about us. And we, we either take it for granted or like it until something goes wrong, until um, it becomes too intrusive. Like, hey, how did it know I'm fat? <laughs> it's sending me fat guy underwear ads. I don't like that. Well, you know, it knows a lot about you. It's learning. And, you know, of course, these algorithms we're talking about are companies like Google like Amazon, like Netflix, they use a tremendous amount of machine learning, Janet. And, you know, Netflix was an early adopter, an early user of this. And they actually, I remember, had, they had a public um, a contest for an algorithm for, where they put it out to software engineers. If you like this movie, what's the next movie you'll like? And they constantly iterate off of every decision you make. They refine and change that personalized algorithm. That is... A, you're right. I mean, that's an example of machine learning that, for those of us who use Netflix, are a part of every single day now. But what about predicting what hasn't happened, right? The black swan event. When is machine learning going to be able to get that smart? Will it be able to get that smart? That's really a fascinating question. And, you know, we, we talked about that. So a question I have about machine learning also is it can or will it be able to predict things that haven't happened? In other words, so we were talking about Google Maps, which, again, kudos, your products are pretty amazing, and I see how hard these things are now. Um, but Maps, you now can try to get to McCarran at a certain time, and it'll tell you how long it'll take you, not just now, but later at any time you want. And obviously, it's um, including data about traffic and weather and pulling in all those things. But could it tell you, could it predict there's going to be a car accident ever in the future? Well, the way you would ask that question is you'd say, do we have a lot of data that we could train against? So here in, here in Las Vegas, we have lots of data where the cars are. So that tells me that we can predict quite accurately where the traffic jams will be. And remember, there are differences on day and weather and so forth. So yes. you take a combination of the weather, there's occasional flash floods and so forth. We can give you a very accurate answer, right? A very, very predictable answer in that sort of thing. Um, fortunately, car accidents are relatively rare, right? Thank goodness. Yes. And will become less, even more rare with self-driving cars. So maybe that won't be so accurate. But anything which involves a lot of data, which we can train against, we can, pred we can predict very well. So on Wall Street with patterns, and you're looking at patterns of trading between different types of securities. And, and that is actually um, something that computer science is being used to do all across the board. And it's an arms race that just continues. Whoever's got the better, faster, more AI-like software is winning. And that will be an advantage that will last for quite some time. In other words, if you have the best machine learning software at your quant fund, 
you'll have an advantage. Overall, do you think he was optimistic about machine learning for the economy, for humanity? It's interesting when you talk about Google Maps being able to possibly predict a car accident, because we were both recently at Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting, and Warren Buffett was talking about how autonomous cars could be bad for the insurance business. So there's all these sort of knock-on effects. Overall, how did Eric Schmidt seem? Absolutely, and that will change and disrupt the insurance business. We all talk about, um, of course, autonomous vehicles come to the trucking industry. Trucking industry is the largest job provider. More, there are more truckers than any other job in the United States. And, you know, everyone anticipates that's going to disappear. Well, if not disappear, be diminished. So not only there will be computer science jobs, because obviously not everyone can do that, but it will provide more different types of money in different ways around the economy. For instance, autonomous trucks will make goods cheaper. That will mean more disposable income for Americans who might then therefore use that money to renovate their home, hiring home builders. So he said, he asked, are there going to be more doctors 20 years from now? Yes. Are there going to be more home builders? Yes. Are there going to be more teachers? Yes. So AI and machine learning is not going to wreck those jobs at all. Um, so He's very, you know, he's very optimistic. Now, having said that, remember, he's working for arguably the biggest AI company on the planet, right? So he's sort of talking his own book there. But um, I think he does believe in what he's doing. And it's, it's an inevitable change in our society. The one thing that sort of scares me a little bit, Jen, is that the consequences are still very much unknown. And, and there will be unintended consequences, right? Like people want to do the right things. But obviously, the right things are not always going to happen. Andy Serwer, Yahoo Finance's editor-in-chief. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on your one-on-one -on -one with Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Alphabet. I'm Jen Rogers, and you've been listening to a Yahoo Finance podcast. Please remember to subscribe.